Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in to Hot Shots. Uh, this is episode number 10, which is fucking nuts that I've been doing this for 10 months. Um, I can't believe that that much time has gone by. Um, it's kind of fucking scary. Um, but instead of dwelling on that too much, I'm going to introduce you to my guest tonight, uh, who is uh, Jonah Grinberg. Uh, Jenna is a Toronto-based musician and lead vocalist of uh, Toronto funk slash punk band Numb Tongues. Uh, you can find Jonah on Instagram as jgrinberg42 and Numb Tongues on Instagram as num underscore tongues and on Facebook, Bandcamp, and all streaming services as themselves. Uh, so, hey, Jonah, thanks so much for uh, coming on here and talking to me, dude. I have been looking forward to coming on this podcast, so this is going to be nice. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, have you ever have you ever listened to any of my episodes before, or just kind of like you know saw it on my Instagram? I've definitely like heard all the clips that you've been posting. I mean, I wish I could say I've been a diehard fan, but I mean, to be honest, <laughs> just I mean, like, not even trying to put you down in any stretch of the way because I mean, yeah. it's just cool. Like, it's hard to do a podcast. There's no question. Oh um, yeah. So, I mean, like, especially since we recently got in touch within the last few months or so, I figured this would be a perfect opportunity to come on and actually touch base. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, you know, uh, not offended whatsoever that you haven't listened to it. I'm sure the majority of my friends have not listened to a single episode. So you're totally good. Um, Podcasting, like, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Marketing podcasting is like so difficult, right? Um, so I understand it's a format that's hard to, uh, hard to get a ton of listeners on. Um, but, uh, yeah, for anyone who's like not so totally, um, familiar with you, um, could you describe your personal sound and style? Um, well, I mean, I guess it sort of goes into, uh, basically the the band that i'm in um which is numb tongues and uh that would i'd say has been like the main source of my musical creativity uh since it started and it's very much this like you said this sort of funk meets punk type ordeal where it's it's mm-hmm. just very raw and you know we're very Chili Peppers and Talking Heads and Corey Wong inspired. So very much in that like realm of like funky, trippy, dancey and sounds good on drugs. I love that description. That's great. Um, I actually forgot to mention what the main topic of this like episode is about. Um, But, you know, besides talking about um, Jonah and Numb Tongues and, you know, everything about their style and their music, um, we're going to talk about basically the Toronto music scene. Uh, Jonah grew up in Toronto and, you know, when he got older, obviously entered the music scene. And uh, we're going to talk about sort of, you know, his experience in it, um, his feelings about it, and then all of the recent changes uh, with COVID and uh, in the community. So um, jumping back into uh, you and your music, um, who would yeah. you who would you say um, were the most like influential musicians and bands uh, growing up for you? I mean, well, you know, growing up for sure, it was like your classic, you know, Beatles listening to. 
Um, but then by the time I reached like high school, I was really into bands. Like I said, the Chili Peppers, um, that was like the one main, that and like ska music, uh, often than not was like my main sort of, uh, influences type things back in high school and then you know somewhere in the mix that ended up including bands like uh incubus and the talking heads and wolf peck and Corey wong um yeah i mean it it's it's kind of crazy because like the Beatles was like, I remember like being so into the Beatles to the point that, um, by the time I started getting into like bands like Primus and Rage Against the Machine, it was like, where has this been all my life? I thought the Beatles were like the pinnacle of everything. And it's like, right. in many ways they are, but then you're just like, oh, there's so much more out there. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when did you discover your passion for music or your interest for actually creating music? Um, so, I mean, when I was a kid, I was doing uh, musical theater and I was like performing in, you know, musicals and shows when I was a kid and it was great. And it wasn't like anything like big time as opposed to like, oh, you know, it's a kid who has an interest in the theater type of stuff. And, certainly wasn't a sporty kid by any stretch so it was very natural for me to get into that kind of stuff i always had that like artistic bone in inside and then i mean that's where i had learned basically everything i knew at that point about performing on stage and how to create a stage persona and what it means to know where you are on stage and and what how you can even write uh in in that regard so then i by the time i was in high school um i went to this alternative school in 10th and 11th grade called avondale and i met some musicians and started you know joining this one band that went nowhere but also starting to figure out how to write here and there um and then pretty soon after i just formed the the original original genesis of what ended up becoming numb tongues yeah um did you say the school was called avondale avondale like on avondale avenue yeah that's a fantastic name <laughs> um what was uh so you're a vocalist um but yes. do you play any instruments yourself I mean, like I can play your basic guitar chords, mm -hmm. and I can play a basic drum beat. Um, but for the <laughs> other than like you know, mainly what I do is I work with like beats and and stuff. Um, okay, that's that's sort of like the main instrument, if you were to call it that. But sure. other than that, it's like more as a writing tool for me, and I'm mainly a vocalist lyricist. Do you create beats for yourself or do you also sell them? Uh no, because like the it's 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 um it's it's how do I, how do I put this? Like people who sell beats are 
usually have the similar sound that I'm just sort of using for as a writing tool for my own sake. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, when did you start singing? Oh, when I was a kid, like very, yeah. very young. Um, uh, yeah. So I've been singing since then. So, I mean, geez, at this point, more than 20 years because I'm 24. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you remember who you were trying to emulate as a kid? Um, who I was trying to emulate as a kid. Well, I don't even know. Cause I, at a certain point I can have like f- the faintest memories of like my earliest musical memories of like songs I would listen to. Like, um, uh, Eminem was, was huge when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Maroon five, when they were actually still writing songs, uh, <laughs> was huge when I was a kid. There's this artist uh, named Remy Shand, Remy Shand, who is so phenomenal. Okay. He he had one album back in the day, uh, like the early 2000s, and it was like him playing all the instruments and singing. And uh, he was nominated for a bunch of Junos, and he had like one song. It was called Take a Message. It was just, it, I remember listening to that one song for like a couple hours once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sweet. So uh, a good range of people, sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I was lucky because I was like really exposed to just as much music as my parents knew back then. Mm-hmm. And then I just had that need when I was sick and tired of whatever mainstream radio was giving me to just look for it myself. Right. Do you think that um, what your family has listened to and like your parents' musical tastes, do you think that that influenced uh, your current sound? Um, it might have influenced me to not want to sound like my parents' musical nope. taste, like okay. not even not even trying to put them down because they're more right. of the mindset of like the the soft, sappy, old school seventies type of stuff. Mm. And hey, that that's cool. That's what floats your boat. But uh, there's there's a whole bunch of different rabbit holes I'm more interested in pursuing. Hmm. Yeah, of course. I think that's natural for all of us, honestly, um, especially to kind of rebel against what our parents like, right? <laughs> How long did it take for you to discover your voice or your like style of singing? Well, I mean, I'm, I like to think I'm still discovering it, but I guess for me, it was um, it was like a combination of first ha- the years of of being exposed to like show tunes and musicals and sort of the the rhythms and cadences that go along with that but then really getting into like the funky kind of music from the 90s um and -hmm. really seeing the kind like i was huge into sublime back then so that ended up rubbing off of me subconsciously whether i realized it or not especially the chili peppers at that point um and then, you know, at some experimenting with rapping, but more so just the idea of of hip hop and really being yeah. able to throw whatever into the same stew. Um, and then just by virtue of the fact that I try to be 
pretty clear about what I don't like musically. So that just, I try to be as, as I, I want to be able to reach the trippiest rabbit holes and have the funkiest grooves and be able to dance and be able to have it sound good on drugs. So it's, it's been a, constant process of really trying to like hone in even deeper and deeper in terms of like what it is I actually like doing. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you try to implement like a sort of, you know, psychedelic sound as well, um, as well as like your funk and kind of punk influences? Well, I'd, I guess, I guess, but not like consciously because i think the whole idea of psychedelic music has sort of become more of like a 70s rock term yeah um whereas like for me i'm just like hey if it sounds trippy that's pretty psychedelic to me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean i think i think like psychedelia and like psychedelic music is there's still a market for it and you know with with the the sort of like mainstream rise of like tame impala and stuff right i think that it's definitely still um it's making a bit of a comeback I would say. Well, I think for me, it's um, it's interesting because I look at that kind of aspect, and I'm I'm more so like interested. Well, if we're going to talk about psychedelics, I'm I'm definitely in in that area of expertise when it comes to my fair share of shrooms, acid, and DMT trips. Um, it's it's funny because like the whole psychedelic music thing i tend to find more in electronic music in i don't i don't know if you ever heard of like meat beat manifesto no i haven't or spongle no or aphex twin and it's totally cool yes. if you haven't these are I, like, yeah i know yeah, aphex these, twin yeah. okay yeah yeah no aphex twins a, a beast um i i often find that it's there the trippier this just the sounds are the more likely i'm going to be interested in pursuing it for sure for sure um who are some vocalists that you look up to anthony kiedis for for one just because he was the guy that i could look at and say oh that was really possible to actually do what he was doing despite no formal instrument playing um and he was able to blend all the the hip hop with the rock with the funk and it was just like yeah that's the stew that i'm into um i would say well a lot of people compare me to <laughs> and, and whether i take this as a compliment or an insult depends on the day but adam levine from maroon 5 mm. um cuz i their early albums again when they wrote their own songs that's some that's some good funky shit Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would even say, um, maybe not as much vocally, but certainly like as, as a persona goes, like there's a David Lee Roth bent in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from like Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely somewhere in, in that where, you know, it doesn't feel like well oh i'm forgetting even uh billy corgan from the smashing pumpkins Mm -hmm. and uh i was a huge chris cornell fan before he well still am even though he's no longer with us but um 
not necessarily being able to hit all his high notes, but there's there was some good vocal moments he had uh, in his softer stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, the Adam Levine uh, comment. Is it, that is complex? <laughs> that is a complex compliment, um, right? Yeah, like it's like you know Maroon Five are Maroon Five. And Adam Levine is Adam Levine, but you know, I guess he has he's he is talented. He has a good voice, but yeah, that is complex. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> it's like when I was a kid. So so for me, it's it's very fascinating because I was I was six when I was listening to songs about Jane, and so those songs are very much like their biggest songs by far, and they're very yeah. much deep and planted just as far as that vibe was concerned. And then when they stopped writing their own songs is when I start to detach myself further and further from them because it just didn't feel organic to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think that's, I think that's one of the most people detached as well. So, um, when did you start thinking about music as more than a hobby? Um, towards the end of high school, mm-hmm. um, uh, basically at that point, um, not to go into like too many details or anything, but essentially there was enough shit going on with me at home at that point mm-hmm. and enough shit going on at school and it just, I needed something else to mm-hmm. escape the shit going on with both and music was that and so like we when i was done school there were a lot of days i was going over to my buddy Corey's house uh or his apartment he was living at marley at the time and so it was like an easy bus ride for me from school and it was like the first time i was going over to someone's house to just like jam besides whoever I had met at school or or jammed with prior and he had seen a video of me doing a song at a coffee house and he was like yeah I want to I want to jam with you and see what's up and so that's when things really started Um, and we had started writing some songs and started getting some kind of attention as far as like people we knew in our immediate local scene and it was like oh okay there's actually something really cool to this Hmm. yeah um do you remember the first band uh that you joined where they're sort of like usually with musicians before they join their mainstream band they sort of you know have a have a bunch of little bands right or little acts that they join first their mainstream band oh <laughs> if, if only that uh-huh. would that aha uh-huh. no mm-hmm. i i hear you um yeah. first bit well so that's the crazy thing um with me it's interesting because um basically as my history goes um the band of people I had joined with when I was at Avondale um, were some people I'd met through a friend who I was going to school with there at the time, but he was more into metal. And so he was, he just peaced out. Um, So those guys, we did like one show. Um, We were called Madison squared. (laughs) 
because I was because yeah I was totally hipster that way I was like yes that's the name uh-huh. um we did one show at like a end of school year blowout and tried writing songs and couldn't get our shit together and so I started Num Tongues with a couple people I was going to again Avondale with at that time mm-hmm. and fast forward a few months when I met Corey and then basically after Corey joined it was a bunch of lineup changes mm-hmm. so like Num Tongues has been around now as a band in some incarnation or another since really 2015 or or late 2014 before I met Corey, but really 2015 because when Corey joined, that's when shit actually started happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so right around that. So, I mean, we're going into, we're in our sixth year as a thing, but granted we've also been through so many lineups. So for me, this is like, even though we still play songs from a few years ago, like this band that I'm in now, the lineup's been around for like two, three years. Right. Right. Totally makes sense. Um, how did, uh, how did your family and I guess peers as well, but how did your family feel about you getting into music? Because I know that the majority of families and musicians aren't totally supportive because of the nature of the industry and because of stereotypes and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm grateful that my family would not stop me from doing Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, uh, you learn how bumpy it is, and I'm fortunate that I at least still have uh, these guys to help me out, for sure. Um, I think initially there was a lot more skepticism by much more, well, because it was just like, what what was that, what does that even mean? What mm-hmm. what does What are you even doing besides an odd bar show? Yeah. And so... Basically, it really took me being at York at the time. I was only there for a little bit. I I realized pretty quickly. I was in the film production program there, and I realized pretty quickly I just was not uh, into it. Um, So I found a program at the Harris Institute for music production, Hmm. and that's when they realized, oh, he's willing to take it seriously. He's willing to go into this program. And I was like, yeah, uh, this definitely makes a lot more sense for where I was at at that point. Um, So then it's, you know, now it's just a matter of me trying to get whatever stable employment to get out of their hair, which is the main uh, thing right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, So my next question was actually, did you attend music school? Um, And so you did. Um, And I actually, you're the first person that I know that went to uh, the Harris Institute. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that program? Because I know absolutely nothing. Sure. Um, So uh, there's two programs there. There's one for management and there's one for audio production. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... 
Uh, I went there for the music production program because uh, I wanted to know. I didn't know jack shit right. about any of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's the thing about that program. It's like, you know, there's so many people who go there who already had experience. There's people who go there who didn't know jack shit. Um, so it's a very intensive program. It's I was fortunate because I was uh, I was basically in the class with like one or two other people. Hmm. Wow. So we so we got the most amount of uh studio time because in the third term they give you keys to the studio. Mhm. Wow, why was that? Um it's part of their program. I think hmm. they've changed the, a bit of the rules bec- uh since then. Mm-hmm. But I mean when I was there, oh, it was it was amazing. Yeah. Um, the amount of studio time we got, um, the c- classes, you know, as long as you're on top of your shit, it's definitely enough stuff I would not have known had I not gone there. That's for fuck sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's how many nights where by the time we were in third term where we were just trying to finish our projects and we'd be up past midnight at the school like well past even like two o'clock sometimes sleeping over um we were fortunate because um we oh this is so we at one point when we were at that school realized that there was a latch open on the roof oh really and and so like no one was there so we just like climbed onto the roof and would smoke tons of ganja on there. Mm-hmm. And it was just a good feeling. Like you don't, you don't like after that, you can't go to normal school. It's just, no. that's, that's too perfect. Um, I think they've changed that obviously to prevent that shit from happening uh, yeah. since then. But man, it was, it was a blast while it was last, while it was happening. Cause you know, you're learning to, record you're putting it into practice you're being exposed to more music and more shows and more business side of things and i was happy i didn't go into the management side of things too because at that point i really wanted to know the actual creation process and it was great because it was such a small class um and then i realized that through just being in this band and running it that that's how i've really learned the majority of my management experience mhm yeah that's such a college story <laughs> yeah um uh when you said i'm i'm still curious about that comment that you made about the three people um were there only three people in that one um that one class or do you mean that there was only three people in your entire year in my entire year of that section of the program. Wow. The other students who were in the program with us were in the management stream. Mm, okay. okay. So all their classes were revolved around management. All our classes were revolved around production. And there were a few that mingled all of us together. Wow. Yeah. Um, how many in total? Maybe like 13. But granted, we were also okay. going there from the summer semester. Mm, mm. Those are very small. Yeah. And yeah. ever since we've been there, they've had a lot more upkeep in terms of international students. Mm-hmm. So the only downside, though, is like I can only imagine what it must be like having to go there during a pandemic, especially 
considering how much we got to do before those times and just being able to like you know sleep at the school and it was just and and be able to do that stuff and get real nitty-gritty with all the tech and and stuff so yeah it's it's crazy to even think what that would have been like Oh, I can't imagine. I I loved college and imagining having to do that during this, that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially when you need to student. Yeah, and especially when you yeah. need that hands-on experience. Yep. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Um what do you um so you you said they really enjoyed the program. Uh what do you feel that you took away from it and um would you recommend it? Um, well, I mean, what I took away from it was more, was just really giving me a fundamental understanding Mm -hmm. as far as the production process is concerned and also really gave me a good scope of the business at that point. Mm -hmm. For sure. Then, uh, would you recommend it? Yeah. I mean, for sure. From, Mm -hmm. from my experience, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, just know it's, you know, you got to really dedicate yourself. Because mm-hmm. there's there's other programs, and they give you the, it's it's nowhere near as time consuming compared when you factor in how many classes are thrown at you at once and how many hours you spend. At least for us, when we were doing our projects, just like being at the school to finish them. Right. Hmm. Um. Did you also take professional lessons outside of school? As in what kind of professional lessons? Yeah. Um, if you were taught, if you took uh, vocal lessons, if you took uh, guitar lessons, if you, or, you know, music production lessons, anything sort of oh, outside sure. of school. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I, t- I mean, I've taken a couple vocal lessons here and there. Okay. Just to, you know, refresh my chops. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for the most part, it's other than the, the production stuff is is very much taught from all that and whatever experience you do by yourself. Yeah. Um, and then just by virtue of having performed and sung since I was a kid, that's been the majority of my experience. Mm-hmm. When did you meet the members of uh, Numb Tongues? So, um, okay. I, I guess I'll go through a, a, a long but truncated history of our band. So, so I guess the first main aspect was Corey joining our drummer, um, which was early 2015. And then uh, our guitarist, Tristan, joined us in mm-hmm. 2018. So that was already like two, three years of us being a band at that point before we'd met Tristan. Um, And I met Tristan through um, our fathers, our mutual friends. So basically, um, my dad was telling me, hey, so... Um, there's this guy I know he's, I'm really good friends with, and he has a son and he's a musician. Maybe reach out to him and see if he's down to jam. And so, um, I was, we were looking for a guitar player at that point. And so basically I reached out to him, sent him a couple songs. And then the first jam that he came, 
um, he had brought chord charts for our songs. I was I was completely dumbfounded because I'm like, whoa! He like actually listened and notated oh. our songs, and I I didn't like me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm like, yeah, I just I I know the vocal melody. He like actually had the chords, and it was just wow, that's insane. So that that is how I met Tristan. Um, Max, our bassist, joined. In late 2019, so basically, in his case, we um, mm-hmm. we had a bassist prior to him who had left, who uh, was getting really stressed out by the anxiety of performing and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, for the longest time, we had a rounding revolving door of people who were basically helping us out and so they were they were awesome we have uh we played a few shows with spencer from mauve grove shout out to those guys um Mm -hmm. and he actually recorded um some bass tracks for us when we needed it at the time uh love that dude love those guys um we played with a buddy of ours named Devin who played with us for a good little stretch there. We played with our buddy, uh, Matt, who, man, I haven't seen in a while since this pandemic. He's, he's a great guy though. Um, so yeah, we basically had, we're, we were fortunate too, in that even as the guitar things goes, like even before Tristan, we had um, a buddy of ours named uh, Dave from Glass Cactus um, who filled in for us for a couple shows while we were looking for a guitar player. We found Tristan and uh, voila, he's been with us ever since. So, mm-hmm. you know, really helped at that for us to just continue being a band. Um. So Max, basically, I had reached out to while we were looking for a bassist, and there were, it, the scheduling sort of never really f- lined up, and then we met actually in person at a uh, show at the Horseshoe Tavern that we were both playing. Um, and so we met in person and he was in one of the opening bands and they fucking slayed. And I just knew like from just from hearing him, yeah, this is exactly the kind of bass sound that we would, we would need. Um, and so, yeah, we kept in touch, sent him a couple songs and he played his first couple shows with us in November, 2019 and then we were really looking forward to, you know, writing some new tunes and playing some shows and then COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you and when you and the guys created Numb Tongues, did you have like a shared vision for what the band was going to sound like and maybe like look like and uh, what symbols or graphics you're going to use? Like what what aesthetic you would have for the band? I don't know. Um, I mm. I think I think yes and no in many regards. Um, so for one, I think 
you know, for the earliest years, we were always compared to the Chili Peppers. Um, and I, I certainly did not take that as an insult at all because that is that was mm-hmm. my one of my main influences. I mean, for sure. Um, the more we we gelled with each other, the more we. Uh, for lack of a better term, weren't trying to sound like the Chili Peppers. And so mm-hmm. we just really held on to this idea of having that funk element in there in some way, shape, or form. Um, and so, th- I mean, as far as that aspect is concerned, I mean, I'd always wanted it, and it took a while for it to fully evolve into what it is now. Um, as far as, I mean, the vision for this band is concerned, well, I mean, I guess the, the truth is like, I had always felt comfortable on stage, but as far as uh, it becoming a cohesive idea or image is concerned, that, uh, became a process in and of itself. Um, for starters, um, we were um, for the longest time using like chameleons for our artwork. Yeah. And that was mm-hmm. awesome. That I think was really cool. Cause at that time, what it really represented was like, you know, we can really do what we want and blend in where we'd possibly want to go. And it really, uh, really represented us because we were just so ever changing at that point. Um, so then at that point I started getting the crazy idea of wearing onesies on stage. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so f- I think that really just solidified our identity at that point even more because it really was like um it wasn't who we are it was sort of the cherry on top that really just gave a bold representation and for us it was it's for me, I was willing to be as goofy and do whatever the fuck on stage because that is the one place to be able to do it. And the onesie was almost like this comfy and goofy way of willingly letting my guard down in hopes that people will be able to have a fun time at the show themselves. Mm-hmm. And then, do you have like a? Uh, sorry, go ahead. Do you have a criteria? That's okay. Um, do you have like a criteria for the onesies? Like, do they have to be certain animals? Do they have to have certain colors? No, they just have to fit. Right. Perfect. And I mean, that's all you need. Yeah, but the thing is, I've come to realize, like, you know, it's a lot of work um, jumping around in a one-piece Ooh. fuzzy suit for that long. Yikes. Um, yeah, I bet. Yeah, without it just be- naturally becoming a strip show at a certain point. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, basically, so after with all the onesies um, and the chameleons, um when we got our logo, I think that's when it really mm-hmm. uh, solidified that mm-hmm. it was something. Definitely like helped solidify the image of what it is that much more. Um, yeah. And it's nothing too out of the ordinary either, which is really mm-hmm. nice. It, it feels like something sure, like that yeah. you could go on like a candy wrapper or like a hubba bubba. And I really, I really dig that, that vibe of it. Um, 
unfortunately, the guy who made that logo is no longer with us. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I mean, I wish I met the guy, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I remember just seeing that logo and being like, ah, yes, this is this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, rest in peace. He made some great art. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, growing up in Toronto, um, how did you view the local music scene before you entered it yourself? Um, growing up in Toronto, I didn't know shit about the music scene until mm-hmm. I entered it myself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's, that's pretty much what it was. I mean, mm-hmm. I was re- really only exposed to it like towards the end, just as I was leaving high school or just that I had already left. And I was like, where had this been all my life? Maybe I might've enjoyed high school a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I really didn't know much about any local bands until I started playing with local bands. Mm-hmm. So you were pretty removed from it then? Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Well, the, the thing is the only, the only people I really had any exposure were people I would have been jamming with at that point Mm -hmm. for sure yeah yeah um do you think that uh anything has changed about your opinions on the local music scene from when you first got into it till now do you think that you sort of had were there any sort of like rose-colored glasses at first or how do you feel about that i don't even know if it was rose no honestly you know what it's it's like that typical thing of you have dreams of being a rock star and then you get hit in the face with reality um i think for for me it it took a minute before we started you know not playing empty rooms and Mm -hmm. it was just like you know that was that was us for the first little bit um it wasn't until maybe like a couple years in where pretty much whatever show we were playing, we made sure we weren't playing to an empty room. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the goal. And, and yeah. And then so uh, pretty much from that point on, it was just a matter of meeting bands. And if we were into their music we'd become friends. If I wasn't into their music, I was more likely than not just not friends with them. Um, so that was always nice for me because it's like, I genuinely want to be able to enjoy the music I go to see. I don't want it to be just because it's like some kind of trend or because a bunch of other people like it doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Cause I'll be honest, sure. you know, when it comes to, most music that people do like, I veer very far from it. Hmm. What do you mean by that specifically? Well, I'll put it to you like this. And this is mm-hmm. not to say I'm any kind of arbiter of what people should and shouldn't listen to. Um, sure. And it's certainly not to say like, who the hell am I? I'm, I'm just uh, an innocent, humble musician who has not made it yet, who has a voice or I don't, I don't fucking know. Um, the way I, I would see it is more often than not, when it comes to mainstream artists that people are obsessed with, usually I'm not usually. 
And then right. when it comes to bands in local scenes, um, usually, unless I'm just that into their music, because again, I just genuinely want to be into the music that I go see, usually it's the people that I would be friends with. And then I find it usually is that way with most of the Toronto music scenes in general. It's just sort of very sectioned off. You know, you have like punk people in in one area. You have people that are into jazz and funk in another area. Um, You have people that are into... uh, like hard rock or folk and singer songwriter type of indie music. And there's all these, it's, it's not even necessarily like it's one scene. It's just sort of, everybody's got their little port. Um, so, I mean, for me, I was fortunate to be around people in like the university jazz scenes and these funk bands whose music was really speaking to me. Um, where I wasn't going to be able to get that at some other punk show per se, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Everybody's into their own things. Everybody needs their own group. You know, um, I find that, I, I find that interesting that you said, uh, everybody has their own little ports. Um, I find that funny. Um, but I do agree with that is that I think there's a lot of, we, I, I feel like we kind of view, music and arts as a very accepting sort of like, you know, progressive space, but I feel like it's, it can be very clicky. Yeah. And I often find for me that it, more people are just sort of into, um, okay, I'll, I'll put it, put it like this, you know, when it comes to genres like, um, hard rock or country or folk or blues or even trap or like mainstream, mainstream pop. Um, at a certain point, it all just starts to sound the same. And it's like, if other people are taking influence from that kind of stuff, they're all just going to, by virtue, end up sounding the same too. And it goes back to that whole thing for me of like, well, there's so many other rabbit holes that I don't see people going in and i'd love to explore what's in there maybe psychedelic drugs had something to do with that not even (laughs) going to lie because i just i mean even when i talk with people about psychedelic drugs it's like it's crazy because i'll mention something like yeah i I did 10 grams of shrooms one time or i did four tabs of acid or i just did dmt pretty recently and it's like it's intense. It's really intense. And it basically opens your mind up so wide that you come out of this fuzzy haze thinking, I want to go into that greener pasture. Mm-hmm. Did you say four tabs of acid? Yes. Yikes. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. But you need like a day to recover. <sighs> oh, I bet. Yeah. Um, I've never, I've never even done one tab of acid, so I can't imagine four. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. Um, what do you think are some of the most important venues or shops in the Toronto music community? So whether that is like indie venues, whether that's like record stores, like really stable shops, um, what sort of buildings, what sort of community places do you think are really vital to the music community in Toronto? Okay, well, um, 
to that answer, I'll say mm-hmm. two different things. The first is that um, as far as the overall, as an overall scene is concerned, um, before the pandemic, uh, late 2019, early 2020, there was an open jam that occurred every Monday nights. It was called Fam Jam. And it was run by this guy named Jackson Steinwall. And it was a bunch of musicians coming from the local scene who were like the creme de la creme of, you know, top funky jazz players that you could ask for. Um, And it was an open jam where musicians would trade on and off instruments on stage and they trade on and off vocalists, and it was a very positive, non-judgmental atmosphere where the talent was really real and the vibe was happening, and it was a weekly occurrence. And within like a handful of weeks of it happening, it was already the biggest jam in the city, and like everybody in the local scene was coming there to have just a good time on a Monday mm. of all times during the week. It was such a good feeling. It was one of the things I could actually look forward to at that point. And it really gave me the first time after being in the scene for how many years that I actually felt like I was a part of something. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't say that necessarily fully before because, again, a lot of a lot of bands tended to feel mm-hmm. more like a click type of thing. Especially like, I man, the amount of bands I, I can think of which i won't mention who are just obsessed with like green day and blink 182 and weezer and worship them at the altar i'm like yeah that's cool but you know there's other music from the 90s right um so anyways i mean that was the first time that that scene when i really felt like i was a part of any kind of music scene and that i think was a really vital thing that was going on until the pandemic happened and now it's been Mm -hmm. over a year since then um the other thing I would say is that as far as vital spaces are concerned, um, I, I, I think the only real logical straight answer that I have is just the mere fact that spaces need to be around solely yeah. for their own sake. Like the fact that all these venues are, have been closing is just, it just shows how much the government doesn't give a mm-hmm. fuck about art regardless of what they say and how many livelihoods and how many people lost jobs as a result. And I'm certainly just someone who can only speak from an empathetic place of hating seeing the city that I've grown up in basically outclass itself to the point that it's becoming more and more expensive to even Mm -hmm. live in. I know. I know it's, it's, it's extremely brutal. Um, Toronto and Hamilton are, uh, I think like some of the, uh, they're in the top three most expensive places to live in North America. That doesn't even surprise me at this point. And that's again, that's again, me coming from just a place of knowing how grateful I am and certainly not trying to speak Mm -hmm. outside of my lane because, you know, I just, I look at the venues closing and I just think, well, you're taking away potential for artists to have an opportunity to play on stage and the the other thing is too is just the mere idea of needing to go to a concert or in my case just the mere need to play a concert is 
so visceral. There is nothing like playing on stage in front of a live group of people that all want to be there and all enjoy your music. There's, there's nothing like it. And the only things that possibly come close are skydiving, sex, and DMT. And I know this because during the pandemic, I've had to go skydiving and smoke DMT just to get anywhere near close mm. to that feeling. Sound like a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I am definitely an adrenaline junkie. There's mm-hmm. not, I'm not even mm-hmm. going to deny that at this point. Um, uh, name some Toronto musicians or bands uh, and or that deserve more spotlight. Ooh, okay. Um, one band in particular, again, I'll mention them, Mauve Grove. Mm-hmm. I fucking love those yep. guys. They're definitely up there as one of my favorite bands in the scene and to even consider myself friends with Mm -hmm. any of them is so fucking cool because i remember a certain i remember going to school with spencer's brother jeremy and so he was telling me about this band mauve grove at the time and then i started seeing their name pop up around more and more and they were playing some serious shows and then i remember meeting them and even thinking that it was possible to actually open for them. And then fast forward even a couple months after that and Spencer's filling in for a show for us. It was just, it's insane. And they're so talented. And if not for them, we probably would not have met our current producer and a current uh, buddy who's going to help us make a music video that's going to be out of this world. So I've got them to thank for that. No question. Awesome. Um. Another band that comes to mind would be Gold Complex. Oh, I don't know them. Yeah, they're really, really sick. Um, yeah, they're they're like a they're a very they they got really good songs and just a very good funky lineup with with horns and keys also. And the singer Will is incredible. Um, I've, they were doing a run at, uh, the orbit room when that was still going on. Um, and my drummer Corey had actually introduced me to that, their music way back in the day, um, like a few years ago. And then I saw them live and I was just blown away. It like, they're, they're really insane. Um, yeah, those are a couple people that would come to mind i mean i could also mention um my buddy's band uh who we were playing so many shows with before the pandemic they're called loaf loaf okay i love that name yeah yeah they're they're pretty sick they were they were a hang to do shows with Mm -hmm. um and now their keyboardist mckenzie currently lives in montreal so I went to visit him last summer and I'd never been to Montreal before and holy shit, Montreal is amazing. I've heard. Um, so those guys definitely deserve a shout out. Um, yeah, yeah. Cool, fantastic. Um, definitely a couple names I don't know. So that's great, I'll look them up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think is special about the Toronto music scene? What is so special about the Toronto music scene? Well, um, I don't know how I can answer that question, honestly. Okay. 
um, without sounding like completely uber optimistic about it. Sure. All I can speak from is my own experience as far as um, the people that I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with. But granted, I'm also talking people I haven't seen in more than a year and a half because of this pandemic, Mm -hmm. which is the sad part because beforehand I was seeing these people so constantly just by virtue of being downtown and being around these places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, what I can say is so special was just the mere fact of the the friends that I would have made and the awesome music and the good times when you know you're playing such an amazing show and that energy is reciprocated throughout the room. Yeah. There's nothing like it. I know. Um, So on the flip side of that question, um, what do you think are the major issues within the Toronto music scene? Well, for starters, um, the fact that it's not even happening right now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the, I, I can't even stress this enough. Like, the, the need to play a show for me, but also the need for people to experience live music is a visceral feeling. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so primitive in us. It's, it's a need. It's, it really is whether you realize it or not. Um, and it's crazy to me because, you know, I'd go on these film sets. I was working on some film sets, just, you know, doing some uh, heavy duty, like lifting stuff for whoever, like a few months ago. Okay. And it was crazy because all these sets are able to operate without social distancing. But God forbid, I want to go to a band practice. It's it's just so mm-hmm. loony. And the only reason why these things operate is because the amount of billions that are invested in it. Yeah. And so, Hey, cool. But you know, it's also hypocritical at a certain point and yeah. it takes away from other people's ability to actually just enjoy their life. And when you take away spaces for people to be able to experience these things and you basically make it harder and harder for people to enjoy the arts in your own city eventually you just dilute it of its culture um and ultimately toronto is trying to be america that's that's a given i think people have this misconception when it comes to toronto music that it's all about drake and the weekend and (laughs) sean mendez and justin bieber and alessia cara and look i'm not the i'm not even really a fan of any of those artists i give them credit for their talent and success but toronto has so much more to offer than just that Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's definitely like an American point of view, right? Is that they don't see they don't see the nuance of the scene. It's really just, you know, the big artists that have come out of that city. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think even too, just um, like I said before, when it comes to all the the clicky stuff, I'm fortunate that I was able to hang around uh, people whose music I actually really enjoy, and that's a subjective issue in and of itself. But I think that also really helps like the motivation to actually want to see live music is if you actually enjoy the music and as petty as that sounds, it's a huge factor Mm -hmm. for whether or not I want to go out or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, 
I wanted to throw a few music industry related issues at you and uh, see if you think Toronto holds up to these or not. Um, these are okay. sort of, you know, um, pre-pandemic, current pandemic, they're sort of like ever happening. So um, I guess the first thing would be like, how do you think that Toronto fares when it comes to supporting indie acts? Um, I think they could do better, mm-hmm. like, like without question. And I wish the indie acts they did support, I actually was a fan of. And again, that's subjective, but I think for me, I, I often find a, such a disconnect between the type of music that people are into and the type of music that gets supported and the type that I'm actually willing to invest my time in. Um, it's funny. Somebody once said to me, Canada has such an insatiable thirst for mediocre folk music. Mm. And I th- I thought, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty accurate. Like, I can't even begin to think of how many different folk music is out there. And if that's what you're into, cool. But for me, it's a lot of folk music. Mm-hmm. I love folk, it's, but I understand if anything is oversaturated. Yeah, exactly. And for me, it's like, you know, like, you know, I listen to bands like, do you know Incubus? Incubus? Incubus. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, so I got into them actually like pretty late in the game. Like I was already in college, but I got obsessed with them. And one of the things I got really obsessed with was the fact that they had a DJ in their band. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so cool yeah. because for me, it's like it's it's um it's hard to invest my time and energy to go to a live show that isn't played by a band. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the, it's just that visceral energy that just adds so much more. Otherwise you're listening to just tracks on an iPod and sure. you can basically do that at home and probably enjoy it more because you're not having to pay as much. Um, but for me, what was so cool about Incubus was that it was possible to actually blend that hip hop DJ jazz element into live band music. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's hard to to do, just speaking from experience, because we had a DJ we were playing with for a couple shows. And it was it's a very big, big learning curve. Um, but for me, what was so cool was like, it was really nice to just be able to experiment with that side of things. And it often feels like people aren't willing to experiment outside of what they already know. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I understand that. Um, How do you think Toronto fares when it comes to the payment of local musicians and uh, providing artists with the amount that they deserve? Um, That's a loaded question. (laughs) Um, And I'm certainly not one to speak as anyone who's come anywhere near to the success I wish to have. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a balance it's a it's a true balance mm-hmm. between between artists work actually working for their right to be where they are and being professional about it and venues also treating artists with respect that they are due um i remember one time where numb tongues was booked for a show at the cavern and 
we found out when we got there, we were double booked and Hmm. we were not informed. No one was told in advance. Um, And the, the owner was very unprofessional, did not give a shit, clearly left it to another guy to like pick up after his mess who I had to talk on the phone with because I had basically shot out a blast post being like, so this is what happened. This is how unprofessional they were. And this is how much they treated everyone else. And don't book your shows there. And it sucks because you don't want to be that guy who's saying close a venue. You just want to call out a venue for what it's worth because when they do that to an artist, that's unfair to that artist who's put their time and energy into putting on a show for people who are coming. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm friends with a bunch of musicians. My mom is a musician. Um, I know what it's like to to get booked somewhere and to have a really aggressive, condescending uh, host. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I totally, totally empathize there. Uh, finally, I guess like the biggest uh, Toronto question I have for you right now is um, how does Toronto treat its indie venues? Clearly not good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise there might be more incentive to keep more of them around mm-hmm. and not replace them with a whole bunch of condos where people will live and pay up the wazoo for rent without being able to experience the culture around it. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we're we're just individuals. We're just like, you know, everyday citizens with, you know, average paying jobs, whatever. So it's like we it's hard for us to imagine taking any steps to improve that. But what do you think we can do, even if it's just a tiny step? What can we do uh, to improve uh, how Toronto, how our local communities are like treating their indie scenes? Well, the the steps that I would think need to be taken would mm-hmm. be for it to simply happen. Um, which is I, the only reason why I can really say that as my answer right now is because we have been in an existence where we have not had live music in over a year. And in order for a live music scene to thrive, there needs to be places for people to play live music and people who want to go see live music. And when people are told they're not allowed to see live music, that just dilutes mm-hmm. this thing further and further mm-hmm. by the day. Yeah. Um, so most areas of Ontario experienced waves of lockdowns, sort of like, you know, lockdown and then a lift and a little period of freedom and then back into lockdown, um, except for like mainly Toronto, which um, has had their uh, f- this lockdown lift just recently, but it's been in there since like November. Like you guys have been locked down for months and months and months on end. And I'll t- and I'll tell you something: the laws don't even make sense anymore. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you feel that's impacted the local scene? It gutted it out from under mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, I think as far as, well, 
I think back to my life before this pandemic and I think about all the shows I'd go to and all the people that I would see and that just all went away within the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's going to be a lot of lasting damage from this? Well, you're already seeing it by virtue of the amount of uh, venues that have been Mm -hmm. closing. Um, My hope, and this is literally the one hope I would have in this case, is for, you know, there to be a boom resurgence of people loving to go to live music. Um, But that's that's purely on a on a emotional level. Um, As far as businesses are concerned, you know, I was looking at an article that said the horseshoe tavern may have to move provinces, which for me is insane because um, for starters, I remember hearing when the horseshoe tavern, when I, when, when this whole thing started, I remember hearing for the first time that, Oh, you know, the horseshoe tavern doesn't actually own its own property. It pays rent. And you'd think an institution that's been that important for a hundred years would, um, be able to pay its own rent at at this point. Um, But it's not. And the mere fact that it has to move provinces, I remember saying, if the Horseshoe Tavern goes away, that's pretty much as close to death of the local live music industry as you could possibly think of Mm -hmm. happening at this point, because it's just such a fundamental institution to the local scene. And it, 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 it feels like it means something when you play a show there to a packed crowd of people. Um, and you think of all the people that have ever played that venue and you, and for it to just go away, it, it's like, where is going to be the place that local artists are going to be able to have their, some of their biggest opportunities. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. Um, so, you know, we've seen like fundraisers and fundraising live streams and et cetera, et cetera, like popping up across Ontario. Um, but it's obviously not quite enough. Um, what are some things that you think our local government could do to help support independent musicians, music industry professionals and venues? I know you're not exactly a politician or, you know, <laughs> someone is someone that can speak, you know, um, someone that can speak exactly to what they could do, but what, what are some ideas that you have brainstorming around that? No, I wish I had any at this (laughs) point. I think you just, it's just a matter of like, you know, people have started playing busking shows outside and that's nice, but you know what? It's, it's summer and many of us are vaccinated and it would just be a good feeling for everybody to be, even if it wasn't like outside just to be able to have shows happening that tons of people are going to see. That's, that's the one thing that, that until that happens, nothing can really replace it. Like they tried with virtual concerts and honestly, virtual concerts, there's literally no point to them and they devalue concerts, at least in my eyes. Cause you know, especially if you're a, a, a much more successful act, I can just go onto YouTube and look up a set of yours with a crowd from way back that sounds way better and watch that for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're everybody is definitely extremely limited. 
um, I, I can't imagine being in that position. I mean, even doing what I do, that's I'm the, still limited, yeah. right? That's the thing. Like, I'm so fortunate, at least being in the band that I'm in, that we've been able to, you know, continue at least working on new music and recordings and videos because if we didn't have something to look forward to there would be literally no point in doing anything right now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i don't know if you have the sort of i don't know if you have the same answer to this question as the last one um but the last one i asked what our local government could do better but what do you think do you think the federal government could put any rules in place to help support indie musicians and indie venues do you think there's any sort of anything they can really do? I don't know because my faith in government died a long time mm. ago. So I just assume they usually don't give a shit uh, no matter what they say or whatever they try to implement. The only, the only way I see really any kind of, any kind of helping artists that they do currently is the grant system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great, that's great that, you know, artists have opportunities for grants but it's um it's interesting in that sense too because you really just sort of have to show just how much of a worthwhile profit it is on their end otherwise they're more than likely not going to um give you the grant money because for them it's a business too you know like they want to be able to ensure that whoever they're getting a giving a grant to the the reward is going to be a great profit on their end Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so one one last note um so a lot of people have been experiencing you know a lot of uh you know mental health concerns during covid of course with the lockdowns with restrictions not be able to go out and see people without social interaction it's uh it's a universal experience um, I know that you've, you know, you've mentioned a couple times that, you know, you've, you've at least had, um, secondary experience with, you know, people experiencing depression, uh, during the pandemic. Um, do you have any, any notes on that? Anything you want to talk about? Um, well, I, 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 I guess for me, as far as this whole thing is concerned, um, you know, I've come to realize, I think you like, you really nailed the the nail on the head when you said I was an adrenaline mm-hmm. junkie. Um, because for me, that's very much, I, I like those feelings where you're that close to the edge. Um, the, the, these are the reasons why we experience or enjoy life, at least in my eyes. Um, so for me personally, you know, without that outlet to be able to perform on stage, it's certainly eaten away at me every single day, regardless of how grateful I may be to have what I have at the moment. It's, it's such a a physical, physical and emotional need to be able to, to do that. Um, I can only imagine what other people must've been going through because the fact is, it's not fair and it's you know, crazy to think how many people have lost jobs, let alone lives. And it's really just sort of been a whole year and a half of trying to enjoy life and at the same time having so much of it taken away from us through no fault of our own. 
Um, you know, I, um, I guess for me, the, um, it's crazy because I can certainly look at, I don't know. I'm trying to find the words mm-hmm. right now, That's but okay. I mean, it's, yeah, it's at a certain point, it's, it's like, it just shows you like what it is you actually want to do with your life and why you want to do mm-hmm. it with your life. Yeah. Um, and what it is that life is worth living for in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause when you have these experiences that are taken away from you, it's like, now I can't even imagine seeing half the people that I might've want that I might've seen before. And that's, that's also from a mental health perspective, you know, you realize the certain people who actually add value to your life versus those who were just there and you thought were a bigger part of your life than they actually were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's it's it pisses me off also when I see people in America and they're booking all these concert tours and compared to last year when they were at such odds just and it's just sucks because you just know you want to be able to experience that. Yeah. Yep. Mhm. I I still find it crazy that people are booking tours so quickly even though I want it, but I'm just scared. I'm like you know, aren't, shouldn't we wait a little bit longer? You know, um, as much as I want it back, it's like, you're really going to tour like across the world right now? Like, yikes. Well, it's like, it, and even then it's like, oh, so it's okay to do it there. But, you know, the laws that have been put in place have become so strict and so past meeting. And then they give things back and then they take them away. And it's like, no wonder people are so frustrated these mm-hmm. days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, to cap off this episode, um, Nun Tongues are releasing a new single. Um, so, or, you know, by the time this episode has been published, the single has already been out for a bit. Um, but the single's called Automatically. Um, when did you guys start writing the song? So, um, well, this is one of the rare times I can say, well, if it not been for COVID, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, ba- basically what happened was... Uh, COVID hit and we had no idea what we were going to do. Um, and we were in the middle of some recordings that, um, that we were almost finished. And then I had a couple songs I had been working with and just, just, and they were based off of beats that I was, uh, fucking around with. And so basically, uh, it, it's it's crazy because I basically remember thinking we got to do something because otherwise we're doing nothing. And so I sent them the demos that I had been working with. And I had just said like, look, I if you guys don't want to do this, cool. I know it's completely different, but I really think this could uh, benefit us. And I think it really suits our style. And, you know, completely different to how we would have done it before because we would have you know jammed and been in the same room and pieced it uh together and picked it apart um whereas like with this we were each recording all our parts from home 
and sending mm-hmm. the files to each other and f- writing that way and basically finishing up the song before we'd even jammed it in the same room together. Right. So, right. so I mean, it's, it's crazy to think how that all came about and it's good because it actually gave us something to do and it's helped us expand our sound and, you know, definitely showed us different ways that we can go about this. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, it's cool to experiment like that. Um, can you give me a little taste of like what the lyrics are about? I mean, it's a, it's a good old fashioned breakup song. Um, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the crumbling of a relationship, um, or, or more, more than that, more like a friendship and more based on this idea that, um, we as humans assume we know what's best for other people, you know, and Mm -hmm. we like really don't at the end of the day. And it's that feeling of, of being told by somebody who thinks they have it all figured out and really don't. And they talk to you as if you don't know what's best for you when really the one person who knows what's best for you is you. Um, and it's also that realizing that just because you may think you have it all figured out for in your sake doesn't mean that you can impose that on other people either. So it's uh, very much a catch 22. It's, you know, being honest with yourself, but also not wanting to take shit from people. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Well, everyone should go stream automatically on all streaming services. Um, I got a little preview because again, this is, you know, at the time of recording, it hasn't been released yet. Uh, but listening to it, it is very catchy. So congrats, guys. And um, I guess this is about everything. Um, thanks so much for talking to me today, dude. Oh, wow. I mean, damn, that's, whoa, I'm already looking at the clock here. I know. It's like, it's, yeah, I know. yeah, we, 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 we went deep, yo. We did. We went deep. We did go deep. Yeah, I try to, uh, I try to include as many questions as possible because I don't know what kind of talker my interviewees are going to be, right? Sometimes you get, yeah. um, you know, five words per answer and sometimes you get 20 minutes Per question, right? So I never really know how it's going to happen. But uh, you know, you're a great talker. So thank you for that. And um, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, of course. And uh, guys, you can find Jonah on Instagram as jgrinberg42 and numtongues on Instagram as num underscore tongues and on Facebook and Bandcamp and all streaming services as themselves. So yeah, again, uh, thanks for talking with me. Um, This is great. And I was very interested in your thoughts about uh, the Toronto scene. Well, uh, you know, (laughs) I'd I'd like to think... I I obviously again I don't know jack shit in the grand scheme of things. I can only speak mm-hmm. from my own experience of what I have experienced. Yeah, um, of course. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, I wouldn't be in music if it not for the fact that it has given me so much and it makes those around me when it's happening feel so good. And that's what it should really be about at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, you know, I'm not expecting you to be a Toronto music industry professional or anything, you know, I want to talk to you because you're on the grounds of it, right? You're in the indie music scene, you're in that community, you know, you know what it's like, you know, from a personal perspective. So that's why I was interested in asking you these questions. And uh, no, for sure. And it's cool, because yeah. I mean, it's been a minute, actually, since I've even talked about any of this just by virtue of you know year and a half of not being around it it's uh mm. a lot longer than you actually think oh my god um it it kind of it feels like like eight months but it also feels like a decade yeah right it's, it's like oh wait there was a world before this huh yeah yeah yeah, it really is the new normal. Um, but yeah, thank you so much again. And um, yeah, everyone go stream automatically and check out Numb Tongues and, uh, and Jonah. So uh, yeah, have a great have a great afternoon, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, all right. Talk to you later. Bye. Cheers. Cheers.